It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and is it that time already time for another edition of the virtual bible study it is and uh, we're glad that you're part of it it is march 6 2008 and the virtual bible study is live on your computer tonight my name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here tonight. Hello, Dad. Jacob, good to be with you on the Virtual Bible Study Welcome as always. Welcome back to town. Thank you. Good to be back. Looking forward to a good discussion on our Bible study tonight. And we are looking forward to that discussion. We're looking forward to your participation at 877-381-4567 or email questions at collegeview.com. And joining us here tonight to participate live with us is Monty Overton, member of the College View Church of Christ, and been here many times before. Hello, Monty. Good evening, Jake. It's good to be here tonight. Thank you, time. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be a part of the program tonight. We're looking forward to the discussion with you, and we have a listener prompted discussion tonight, Dad. Jacob, we did. We got a, uh, an email question that has prompted us to deal with a subject that we have actually talked about in the past, but it is an important one. And therefore, I think worthy of us uh, investigating again the question of modern-day miracles. Basically, the question is, are miracles happening today? And we want to talk about that. We think it's an important discussion. Obviously, there's some difference in the religious world on that subject. And so we're going to be exploring that and looking into that. Uh, are there miracles happening today? And that differing view really goes from the radical to the more conservative on views of miracles. We look at uh, television and televangelist, and Benny Hinn comes to mind as being someone who believes in, he, he demonstrates these radical, phenomenal miracles. And then there we can get more conservative where people might say, my mother was sick and she got better. Uh, God did a miracle and healed her. And so we can look at those extremes tonight. That's right. We want, and I think that is an important part of the study. Let me uh, let me tell our listeners tonight what our questions were. As as most of you know, we send out on earlier on the day on Thursday, we send out a, a couple of poll questions, trying to get response from our listeners. And we sent these out earlier today. If you'd like to be on our update list, just send us a message to questions at collegeview.com. Put in the subject line, add me to your list, and we'll do that. Be glad to do it, and we'd like you to be uh, able to get those messages, and it makes it a little easier to plan to participate in the virtual Bible study on Thursday night. But earlier today, we sent out these questions. Number one, define a miracle. I think when we get into this study, Jake, we're going to see that properly defining what a real miracle is is very important. And so that was the first part of it, define a miracle. What do you believe a miracle is? Second question, are there miracles today? Now, yes or no, that's a yes or no question, obviously. Are there miracles today? But if your answer is yes, then give your biblical evidence that proves they're still occurring. If your answer is no, there are no miracles today, give your biblical evidence that proves they have ceased. And I emphasis on biblical evidence. Give the biblical evidence. You know, uh, one of the things I think we've got to shy away from is I heard or someone told me this or that happened in, you know, uh, second, third, fourth, fifth hand accounts of miracles that may or may not have happened aren't real helpful to us. We need biblical evidence. We're looking for biblical argumentation, you know, not what my uh, third cousin twice removed told me happened, you know, 28 years ago in, you know, far distant part of the world. You know, I, we, we want biblical proof, biblical argumentation. In regards to this question of miracles, that's what we got to look at. All right. And those two questions are really interrelated. The way you define miracles will shape whether or not you believe they exist today. So uh, what is a miracle? Define a miracle for us. And do you believe they're still occurring today? 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We want to hear from you on the program Tonight, Damani, uh, as we talk about uh, miracles, it's important to define miracles. You made yourself, you made your way here tonight in your vehicle without having to wreck. That was a miracle. Your wife <laughs> might say I, it is. I have ridden with, uh, <laughs> or at least seen Monty driving. And, and so the fact, Monty, you getting here safely tonight was a miracle. Well, I stay awake most of the time anymore. 
Well, you know, a lot of people would say we use that term a lot. That's right. And uh, some people might think it is a miracle. That's right. Uh, you know, and, and it is a it is a word that we use pretty loosely. It's a miracle that I didn't have a car wreck. It's a it's a miracle, uh, you know, that. Uh, I had any money left at the end of the month last month after all the other expenses came up. You know, we we use the word real loosely, but when we talk when we're talking about miracles tonight, we want to talk about miracles as the Bible uses the word miracle, and that's really important for us to define. Our friend Jason up in Pennsylvania has sent an email in, and I think he's got the right definition, Jacob. He says something a miracle is something that is not natural. A miracle is a supernatural occurrence that defies the normal laws of nature. For example, a baby being born is not a miracle. A baby being born of a virgin, that's a miracle. And I think Jason has just nailed it. I, I mean, I, really, I don't think you could do a better job of defining it than that. And I like what he's, the word he used, a supernatural occurrence. In other words, there's natural occurrences. There's the things that happen according to natural law. That's not it's not a miracle, a supernatural thing. The laws of nature are suspended or violated. Something different than what would happen naturally occurs. Well, Jason makes a uses an interesting example there about a baby being born. And that illustrates the fact that just because something is phenomenal or is incredible or is uh, amazing doesn't qualify it as a miracle per se. Exactly right. So, you know, the birth of a baby is a, an amazing thing. I mean, and, and it's a wonderful thing, and we're in awe of it, but it's a natural process, and the process is understood, and it happens thousands of times every day, and doctors can uh, you know, even work uh, to treat people who are having problems conceiving a child, uh, uh, and, and and the method of conception and birth are well understood. It's not it's not a miracle. It's a natural process. It's wonderful, but it's not a miracle. And phenomenal things happen uh, from time to time. Maybe uh, we watch someone in the middle of maybe a, ch- a child walk, runs out in front of a moving car and the car misses them, doesn't hit them, and we wonder how could that happen. Not necessarily a miracle, even though it is a phenomenal thing and it is amazing that th- maybe the car missed the child. It's not necessarily a miracle. Because uh, no laws of nature were defined there. Defined there. That's right. Uh, recently in the news, there was a story about a fellow who fell. I, I don't know. I mean, he fell from a tall building. There's several stories. I, I want to say on the order of 20 stories or more, fell and survived to tell about it. That's pretty amazing. But there wasn't any miraculous. Thing. It wasn't that he just before he hit the ground, he was suddenly levitated and just floated, you know, a, a few feet above the ground and didn't hit the ground. It, he he hit the ground. The laws of gravity were fully functioning and he fell and hit the ground but based on how he hit and what he hit he didn't lose his life which he probably should have but he didn't and so that was an amazing thing but it wasn't a miraculous thing because the laws of nature were all functioning it was just a unique occurrence it'd be hard to duplicate but it was not supernatural all right so Monty, your successful navigation of traffic tonight was not a miracle it was phenomenal but it was was even a little spectacular (laughs) but it was not a miracle that's right i stayed within the laws of physics all right 877-381-4567 questions at collegeview.com are the ways you join in on the discussion tonight we hope you'll give us your feedback on miracles please define a miracle for us if you will and tell us if you believe miracles are occurring today you know Jacob, you, oh go ahead money when you think about it as far as defining a miracle goes or whatever subject we're discussing we need to define that subject so that we can all be assured that we're talking about the same thing because if i call a miracle one thing and someone else calls it something else and we're trying to discuss it we're not talking about the same subject we're talking about different subjects so defining what a miracle is is extremely important it is and so we need to reiterate dad a miracle is a supernatural occurrence something that could not be uh, explained any other way than saying a law of nature had to be violated in order for it to occur yeah let's look at a couple of bible examples of a miracle for instance in matthew chapter 14 beginning verse 22 it says uh, jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away and when he had sent the multitudes away he went up into a mountain apart to pray and when the evening was come he was there alone but the ship was now in the midst of the sea tossed with the waves for the wind was contrary And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. 
And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Well, that's a familiar story from the life of Jesus walking on the water. That's not natural. You know, when you, if you were at a lake or at the ocean and you started to walk into the water, you would go into the water. You would sink up in the water. You would not walk on top of it. That's not natural. This was supernatural. And, you know, those who would discount any of the miracles in the Bible understand the definition of a miracle. It wasn't too many years ago. Remember, they had this theory that Jesus was walking on ice out there in the lake. There was some phenomenon where potentially he could be walking on ice. They realized that if you're not violating the laws of nature, it's not a miracle. And so they look for ways to explain these things naturally. They try to find some naturalistic explanation to that. Of course, that, you know, I think some of our listeners will remember that episode. And this was just goes back uh, three or four years ago where someone tried to suggest that there on the Sea of Galilee where this event occurred, that if the weather conditions were just right, that ice could suddenly form over the surface of the water and Jesus could have walked out there on shelf ice. You know, I've been around lakes freezing it doesn't happen instantaneously, and it takes a good long while for them to freeze hard enough to be able to walk on. I learned that one time when I fell through the ice, actually. But, uh, you know, those who doubt and disbelieve are are prone to desperately try to find some naturalistic explanation of what the Bible describes as miracles because they understand if you can prove that there's a natural explanation of it, it's not a miracle. So they understand the definition. Even the skeptics understand the definition of a miracle. That, that's right. Um, there, there are plenty of such miracles in the Bible. And one of the things that I want to stress as we begin our study is that we believe them all. You name the Bible miracle, and we believe that it happened. We believe it happened just like the Bible says that it happened. And so I, I wouldn't want anybody to go away from this study tonight with the false impression that we don't believe in the Bible miracles. We believe in the Bible miracles. We believe in every single one of them, and we believe in them just as the Bible describes they happen. And, Monty, another familiar, maybe one of the more familiar miracles in the Bible, Jesus turning water to wine, his first miracle in John chapter 2. Yeah, in John chapter 2, it describes that. And uh, he even had other persons working with him that could, you know, some people might would say, well, he knew there was wine in those pots, and uh, he just sent them over there to it. But it describes those pots as being empty and in the manner of, of, of purification of the Jews. Uh, they were rather large pots, 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And he turned, had the other people fill them with water and he turned that water into wine. And they, the people that witnessed that recognized that it was a miracle. I mean, because they knew that they was clean pots and it was only water that was put in them. And so they, they knew that something beyond the realm of nature had taken place. No natural explanation for what had occurred. That's right. That's exactly right. Another really good example, we could, of course, there, there are just uh, dozens of examples of miracles in the Bible, but a good one is in John chapter 11 when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And it's kind of interesting to note that he was dead and known to be dead for several days. In, in verse 41, let's see, uh, in verse 39, when Jesus went to where they had buried Lazarus, he said, take away the stone. But Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he had been dead four days. So this wasn't like he died and they revived him. He died and they gave him CPR. He, he maybe stopped breathing for 30 seconds and they gave him CPR and he started breathing again. He'd been dead for four days to the point that his sister said, he's going to stink. Because remember, the Jews didn't embalm dead bodies. He'd been dead long enough that he would be stinking. The body would be decaying. Jesus said to her, uh, uh, Jesus said to her, Say I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after he'd been dead for four days. You know, one of the things that people try to say, Monty, is that these people back then were really 
very ignorant and uneducated people. And on top of that, they were really superstitious people. And gullible. And gullible. Well, what you have to remember, Greg, is in, in a lot of respects, those people were more familiar with death than we are. Most likely when Lazarus died or when anybody in your family died, you prepared them for the grave yourself. Uh, so you knew what a dead person looked like. Uh, even in the as just things in general, people tended to slaughter to slaughter their own animals and livestock and butcher their own meat and prepare their own things that way. So they knew about life and death and had really a more intimate knowledge than we do because when somebody in our family dies, they're normally taken to a hospital, which is where most of them die. Somebody, the doctor or whoever pronounces them dead, and immediately they're taken to a funeral home or someplace to be embalmed and prepared for the funeral service, and we don't have to take care of that ourselves. These people took care of these things themselves. They knew what a dead person looked like that, that's and how to tell if someone was dead. I think that's the key. I mean, they, you know, we think we're so far advanced. I think we probably think way too highly of ourselves in regard to those. These people were not stupid. And they knew what a dead body was. Yeah. This guy was dead and had been dead for four days, and Jesus raised him. That's, That's right. supernatural. All right. If you're just joining us, we're talking about miracles on the virtual Bible study tonight, and it's time for our break. We're going to take a short break and give you time to join in on the email at questions at collegeview.com, or the phone line is open. Why not give us a call and join us on the phone tonight at 877-381-4567. We'll take a break and be back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And welcome back. We are talking about miracles tonight, and we're looking forward to hearing from you on the phone toll-free tonight. We pay the bill or on email. Either way, we hope you'll join in on the discussion. Jacob, we've got an email from our friend Jake in Finland. Jake's been a regular listener, and we're really grateful for his participation in the virtual Bible study. And he has sent in, in response to our question, let me read. I want, it's a little bit longer email, but I want to read it because Jake is actually coming from a different perspective than we are on this. And so I think it's, it's valuable to get his point of view. And then we can address some of this. He says a miracle is a supernatural occurrence done by God or by his permission. A miracle could be, for example, when God supernaturally saves you from being killed by your persecutors who are persecuting you for expressing your faith. Focusing on this one type of miracle, God did these many times in the New Testament. For example, when he resurrected Paul after he was stoned to death. This is proof that it happened. Now, please tell me why God would not do the same today. Why would he let all the persecuted Christians die? I understand that God has allowed this to happen, that we see that from the very first example where a follower of Christ was stoned, namely Stephen. And I know of real people who died that way in the Soviet Union. Talking about real-life examples, I know several people from the former Soviet Union whom God miraculously healed, saved from death, and other miracles. If you read the full Bible, you know it didn't and won't happen to everyone, as some charismatics proclaim. Here I have provided you with biblical proof that it happened, and I have proof that it has happened after the apostolic age. So the disagreement or misunderstanding between us is whether they still occur. Let me try to prove my point. Where does it say or seem to be saying that God will stop these? I honestly have not found anything pointing to this. Next, as far as I understand, you have come to the conclusion, you, he's talking about us, you have come to the conclusion that God only showed miracles filled with the Holy Spirit, told prophecy, etc., to convince or prove his message. I agree that that's not, I agree, but that's not the only reason, because how did the prophecy to Paul in Acts 21, 7 through 14, Further the gospel, it didn't. All it did was to tell Paul what would happen to him in Jerusalem. Thus, God has and will do similar miracles according to his divine will. He knows what is best for those who put their faith in him. 
Finally, I have a question. If God doesn't do miracles, why do we pray for healing, for example? I know of people who have enti- God has entirely healed of cancer, for example, without any human intervention. If God doesn't do miracles, then what does he do? So that's Jake's email relative to this question. We certainly do appreciate him for participating with us. And as as you see there in, in that email, he has come from a, a different point of view. He believes that miracles still do occur. And so that really uh, opens up the subject for uh, our discussion tonight. Um, I think it is important for us to talk about the purpose of miracles. And he, he commented briefly about that in his email. What's the purpose of miracles? Is the purpose of miracles to heal sick people just for the sake of healing them? I think the answer to that's no, because there were plenty of sick people in the New Testament that were never healed. And and when men ha- had that power, we know they, they did possess that ability. And so to suggest that miracles of healing were for healing's sake, I think really misses the point. Um, I was trying to think here. Monty, where's the passage where Paul speaks of one of his co-workers that he had left behind sick? Um, in Second Timothy chapter four, verse twenty, 20. he's talking about the where various of the people that's worked with him at, and he said in verse twenty, Trophimus, I have left in Melita sick. Now we know that Paul had had the ability to heal people of, of various different, uh, very severe diseases, but apparently uh, there was no purpose in healing Trophimus here for some reason or other. Or he wouldn't have had to left him there sick. I've always felt that as the the word was becoming complete in the letters that, that would later be compiled that what we have as a Bible is complete. The word had been proven repeatedly through miracles. And as that age of miracles was ceasing, apparently Paul may not have had complete ability to do miracles like this anymore, or he wouldn't have necessarily had to leave him there. Well, at the very least, we could conclude that clearly there were sick people who didn't get healed. Yes. Miracles were not just for the purpose of healing someone of a physical malady. Even Timothy himself suffered certain physical ailments. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, Paul said, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, and thine often infirmities. He was often sick, and yet no miracle of healing was performed on him. So We can even look to Paul. Paul was running around with people who could do miracles, yet Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Why didn't Paul get uh, one of them to hit him in the forehead like we see on television and, and heal him of it? I think the answer to these things that we're that we're talking about is that gifts of healing, other miracles were not for the sake of relieving physical problems, but they were signs. They were to serve as proof or verification of something. And I think we see that clearly in Mark chapter 16 when Jesus um, spoke to his disciples and and foretold the kind of miracles that would be performed. He says um, in Mark chapter 16, verse 17, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. What were the signs for? to confirm the word. You stop to think about it. These fellows were going all around the world preaching a strange new doctrine. It's not strange or new to us. We've known it all our lives. But to the people to whom they were speaking, this was brand new. They had never heard it before. Why, why, should, these, why should these men be believed? Why should this doctrine be accepted? The miracles served as a badge of authority or a proof that what they were saying was true. Now, one of... Uh, one, did you have something? Well, go ahead. One of Jake's arguments was, though, that uh, he says that we have concluded that the only purpose of miracles was to prove the word. And that if he could find if we see other miracles in the New Testament where they were not specifically to prove the word of God, then we could then conclude that the miracles still occur today. What about that claim that the only reason that miracles existed in the New Testament times was to prove the word of God? Well, it was either to prove the word of God or to prove that the ones who were who were delivering that message were God's spokesmen. In other words, sometimes the miracles may not have been directly related to a specific 
proclamation. Uh, Jake mentioned the case in Acts 21 where it was foretold what was going to happen to Paul. And that didn't have any specific reference to the proclamation of the gospel. But it what it did do was confirm that this man Paul was was a, an apostle of God and an, and an inspired individual. You know, even in the case that we mentioned a minute ago about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, in John chapter 11, verse 42, he's, he's thanking God for hearing him. And he says, I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So it, the miracle wasn't necessary. To pr- it was to prove and that Jesus was sent by God. It wasn't for Lazarus' benefit, although he... I sometimes wonder what benefit he had in being raised from the dead because that would also have given him another opportunity to be lost. And if we read further on, the Jews wanted to put him to death because of what the confirming that it had done for Jesus. So they felt like if they could kill Lazarus off again, that that would in some way uh, detract from Jesus' message and his mission. So raising Lazarus from the dead wasn't necessarily a great favor to him. But it was done so that the people could believe that he was sent by God. So just like in the example you was mentioning about Paul, that prophecy was made and it came true so that the people could believe that Paul was sent by God. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Join in now. Um, you, we also look at, um, at what Jake's question there about God saved people from persecution in the first century. He references Paul. Didn't save him from the persecution, maybe saved him from the consequences. He uh, didn't allow him to die after he was stoned. Um, but uh, what about that? I think that gets back to the definition of miracles again. God does work in yeah. the world. He worked back then. He's still working today. He is preventing us from being persecuted beyond what we can handle. But is he doing it miraculously? You know, uh, just a few weeks ago, Jacob, we had some studies uh, i think two consecutive weeks we talked about providence on the virtual bible study and providence we believe very much in the providence of god god works in the world he did then and he does now god worked in miraculous ways in the past but he also worked in non-miraculous ways in the past to bring about his desired will we believe that god still works in the world today providentially to bring about his desired will his providence is God using natural means to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. We have studied recently here at the College View Church the amazing story of Esther, one of the really neat stories of the Bible. And there's no miracles in the book of Esther. Interestingly, the book of Esther stands alone in the Bible as the only book in which God's name is not mentioned. But God is clearly in that story. And God worked to preserve the Jews, which was a necessary thing so that Christ could be born uh, as as had been promised, it was necessary for the Jewish race to be preserved and f- for the lineage to be maintained so that the Messiah could be born as promised and prophesied. But there's no miracles in the book of Esther, yet God brought his will to pass. So the the question is, why would we, you know, what's God doing? If he's not working miracles, what's he doing? If he's not working miracles, why would we pray? Well, we believe God's still working. The question is, is he working supernaturally or naturally we believe he's working naturally here's how we know that god is still working in the world today because of all the promises he's made to us money if god's not active in the world today then how can he keep the promises that he's made to all of us uh, individually who are believing and trying to be faithful to him he's promised that he'll care for us he won't allow us to be tempted above that we can stand and so on god's made promises to us and therefore we know he must be active in the world you know when god says he won't he's, he won't allow us to be tempted above what we're bearing but that he's provided a way of escape for us. Somehow or another, he's doing something for me to have that way of escape when I'm being tempted, especially in a very severe temptation, something that may be a great deal for me, but he's made a way of escape from it. But it's not miraculous because no laws of nature have been violated as God provides those ways of escape. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the Lord said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. We still have that promise today, although we don't believe that God is working miraculously to bring that to pass. Let's ask. Let's look at uh, one of his questions. He says, now please tell me why God would not do the same today, talking about saving people from persecution. Why would he let all the persecuted Christians die? I understand that God has allowed this to happen, that we see from the very first example where a follower of Christ was stoned, that being Stephen, and I know of real people who died that way in the Soviet Union question is not uh, why does he do it or could he could he not prevent it he allows it he allows it it's it's his will that we suffer to uh endure the, ten, the temptations that are before us 
That's right. We've even been told that there's a there's a benefit to suffering temptation. James chapter one verse three: The trying of your faith worketh patience, and let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And so, as we endure trials and temptations, even persecutions for the cause of Christ, we're we're made stronger. Our our patience is perfected, and we're made more the kind of people that God wants us to be. There's a positive side to the persecution. It's not pleasant in the moment, but it perfects our faith. And so this is just something that God has allowed. God could have made everybody robots and could have pre-programmed us to do just exactly as he said. But he gave all men free will. And since he gave men free will, some are going to choose not to do his will. And they're going to persecute those who are trying to do his will. And that's always been the case. It's historically true all through the Bible. So, yes, there is persecution. We have to stand in the face of that persecution. But my question to Jake is, if he saves today from persecution by miraculous means, upon what basis does he choose to save some from persecution and not all? And would that not make him, therefore, a respecter of persons, which the Bible says he is not, but would not that make him a respecter of persons if he did that? Do you not believe that God has saved people from persecution today, though? Not in a miraculous not way. In, but you're right. But God could save someone from persecution and it not be a miraculous uh, occurrence. You know, I would like, I would want evidence to see if someone we felt was saved from persecution, the evidence of the, the miraculous nature of it. What supernatural type of event occurred that saved these people from persecution? Or was it just a providential? The Bible also says time and chance happened to all men. So we know that there are things that are just coincidences in our life or that just random happen. You know, like with my driving, I'm lucky that I stayed awake and didn't, that I ran people off the road but well, didn't hit them. You, but I don't feel like God reached down and grabbed my vehicle and helped me over in the lines. I just happened to wake up no, at the but, right time. That's right. But there could have been a drunk driver coming the other way and he swerved just after he got past your vehicle. Yeah. That could be, that could be providence. Uh, God working to, Maybe get maybe uh, the things that happened were in a way that uh, you weren't in the right spot at the right time, but it wasn't a mirac- miraculous no. thing. All right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. Time for another break. Uh, this is uh, time for our weekly bullet point. Looking forward to hearing uh, that, and we're looking forward to hearing from you on the other side of the break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. The story of Jonah and the whale? That's a hard one to swallow. So says the skeptic, and as Bible believers, we have been forced to go on the defensive. Some have labored long and hard to prove that a whale could really swallow a man. You may have seen articles which cited historical accounts of men who have experienced similar things. One such report is found in the April 4th 1896 edition of Literary Digest. It tells of one James Bartley who was swallowed by a whale and lived for a day and a half before being rescued. While accounts such as this may be interesting, they really are unnecessary. We don't need them in order to believe what the Bible says about Jonah. What happened there was a miracle. The scripture says the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. Whether or not an ordinary whale could accomplish such a feat and whether or not a man under normal circumstances could survive as Jonah did doesn't matter. In this case, God was involved. And if we believe in an all-powerful God, this should be no harder to accept than any other miracle taught in the Bible. But there's yet another way to look at this subject. Jesus provides more evidence for the case. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, he said, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus staked his credibility to the accuracy of the story about Jonah. That being so, then all the evidence concerning Jesus, his miracles, his resurrection, etc., can also be used to support the account of Jonah and the whale. It really happened. Jesus said so, and that settles it. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we do hope you'll listen to the virtual Bible study every week and make it a part of your regular Bible study program. As we uh, listened there to the break, we heard Nestor Sanchez from Chile. If you are listening to the virtual Bible study anywhere around the world, go to our website, collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and click on the Leave Us an Audio Message button and let us know where you are 
and let us know you're listening to the virtual Bible study. We're looking forward to hearing from you. As we talk about miracles on the program tonight, Dad, your uh, your bullet point there, again, tied in with the topic, and we need to reiterate at this point in the discussion as we go along that we believe every miracle in the Bible. We don't want anybody to be mistaken on that. We're not trying to discredit any miracle in the Bible. We believe they happen, and if anybody tried to deny them, we would argue with them vehemently that we believe every miracle in the Bible exactly like the Bible uh, claims it happened. That's exactly right. I, I really want to stress that. But what we're saying is that the Bible miracles, those especially uh, that we read about in the New Testament, were for the spe- specific purpose of revealing and confirming God's Word. In Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 2, uh, it says, the wor- If the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. Notice, as the as the disciples of the Lord taught, God bore witness with signs and wonders and diverse miracles. God was bearing witness that what they were saying was his message to mankind. That's what the miracles were for. They were to both reveal and confirm that this message was from God. And that was a necessary thing. But what we need to understand is that once that process was completed, the purpose didn't exist any longer. I've, for years, I've heard the illustration. I think it's really a good one if you can picture it. When you're building a building, you use scaffolding around the building so that you can have a, a a good place to work from as the building is being constructed. As it gets taller, you work off of the scaffolding. But when you get the building completed, you take the scaffolding down because it has fulfilled its purpose. It's not needed anymore. And I think that's a, an accurate way to view the miracles They were a necessary thing. While God's word was being revealed, they were necessary to both reveal and confirm. But once that process was finished, they're not needed anymore. And so the purpose has been fulfilled. The miracle's taken away. Well, we see you made the point about uh, God saving people. If he saved people miraculously today, why doesn't he save everyone? And if he was healing people of illnesses in the first century, why didn't he save everyone? Why were there people that were still dying in the first century? Obviously, God's intention with miracles wasn't to just prevent all kinds of world illnesses and uh, and, uh, maladies. That wasn't the purpose of the miracles in the first century. And it wasn't his purpose to keep Christians from being persecuted to death either. Many did. Or getting sick. We've talked about Christians who were sick in the first century. The sick and dying, persecuted and dying. Uh, We don't have have biblical... Reference to every apostle, but if we believe the historical accounts, we uh, in, in conjunction with the biblical information we have, we we understand that every apostle of Jesus Christ, with the exception of John, died a violent death because of their faith in Jesus. If he's going to save people from being persecuted, why wouldn't he save his own apostles? It just was not the purpose of those miracles. Dad, I don't know if uh, we we used to talk on the radio up in Nashville. Uh, on a regular basis. I don't know if you were on the air with me the day that uh, this woman called in or not, but we were talking about miracles. And she had been told that miracles occur. She had a terminal illness, and she continued to progressively get worse and worse. She was told that God hadn't healed her yet, hadn't miraculously healed her because she didn't have enough faith. And she was trying to be healed. She was looking for that miracle. It hadn't happened, and every day she continued to get worse, and she called us on the radio, and she was almost in tears, or she may have been in tears, in fact, because she was beginning to doubt that God even existed, because she had been told that God would heal her if she had enough faith, God would miraculously do something to her to help her with her terminal illness. That hadn't happened, and now she's wondering, is there even a God because of that false teaching? So it's very important that we understand miracles and how they relate to us today. That's a common thing, that that, uh, an explanation that's offered if a miracle doesn't happen for a sick person that they lacked faith. But you know, in the Bible, we don't have any reference to the fact that faith on the part of the recipient was an absolute necessity. We, In the Bible, we read of people who had faith and those who had none, who similarly received miracles of healing. For instance, I won't take time to read it, but in Acts chapter 3, there was a, uh, a, a lame man at the gate of the temple that Peter and John healed, and it's clear that he had no faith, and they healed him. 
And we could cite other examples. Now, sometimes people did have faith and received a miracle. Other times they had none. And I think we could just take that off the table. The faith of the recipient was never a requirement for them to have a miracle performed. You know, that lame man that you was just referenced in Acts chapter 3, he wasn't looking to be healed. He didn't expect to be healed. He'd been crippled all his life, and there was no hope for him. What he was wanting was money. He was put in a place where that people would be coming in out of the temple, and he could beg money from them. And that's what he was wanting from Peter and John was some money to help him out because he was crippled and couldn't work. And uh, Peter told him, you know, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I'll give you, rise and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. So the faith was on Peter and John's part. It didn't have anything to do with this lame man because he very well may have never even heard of Jesus, but that wasn't what he was interested in that day. He was needing financial assistance. That's right. In, In Matthew chapter 17, we read an instance where the disciples of Jesus were unable to perform a miracle, and Jesus rebuked them as having not had enough faith, not the person that they failed to heal. And so, uh, you know, that argument that it, you, you would have had a miracle of healing if you had enough faith just doesn't hold up to the Bible evidence. All right, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com are the ways you can participate in the program tonight. Keith in Lynchburg has a question that he wants to add to the discussion. He says, what if someone has a fatal disease such as cancer And the doctors say this condition is absolutely going to be fatal within a few months. Then the person, for whatever reason, makes a complete recovery. Does this constitute a miracle? Even when there is no smoke or flash of light, maybe an answer to prayer. What what about that? He says he's heard about these instances and wondered, are these things miracles? What about these claims? Someone's got a terminal illness. The doctors say there's nothing we can do for him. He's going to die, and he doesn't die. Is that a miracle? Well, I, it's not. A, I don't think that it's a verifiable miracle. I mean, it's not like Lazarus who was dead four days and raised. It's not like the lame man at the gate of the temple there in Acts chapter 3 who was lame from his mother's womb, had never walked, and instantaneously he was able to leap and run and jump. Those are the, kind, those are the nature of New Testament miracles. And we don't see things like that happening today. Now, have there been cases of people who had cancer and they got over it? Well, sure there have been. Uh, and there are natural processes at work, natural healing processes of the body. There are, there are things that doctors can do to aid that process, and it's not all understood. That's exactly right. We're doing all kind. We're spending millions of dollars on research to better understand the human body and what's going on in there. And when the doctor says there's nothing we can do, they're going to die. Perhaps the doctor just doesn't know enough about what's going on. No, we know a lot, but we don't know everything. If we knew everything, they, as you said, they wouldn't still be researching it. And so we don't have all the answers to how the body may be able to react to treatment or how the body may be able to heal itself in some instances. We don't have all the answers to that, but it's not the same as the supernatural miracles that we read about in the New Testament. And we're not claiming that God may not have a part in that healing right, process. Right, a natural process. A natural process that God enables uh, naturally. You know, as far as the cancer question goes, we don't know what causes cancer. We know that certain people that behave in certain ways, like smoking, for example, tend to get cancer more than people that don't smoke. But we don't actually know what causes cancer. And we don't know a cure for it. We know that certain things tend to help people get over it better or tend to keep us from getting it to begin with, but we don't actually know. So to say that a person was what a doctor considered terminally ill, the doctor doesn't know everything, obviously. Uh, he's not an inspired prophet by God to say you're definitely going to die from this. And so since we don't know what causes it and we don't have a definite cure for it, like Greg said, there's natural processes in our body that for whatever reason, maybe due to some providence of God, begins to kick in and we're healed from that in effect. But it's not a miracle. It's just a natural process taking place that we still don't understand. Now, if the person went into the doctor and he's, uh, his arm had just been cut off, the doctor says, there's nothing we can do for you. You're never going to have an arm there. And he grows another arm. We'd say, that's now miraculous. Gonna, now we're going to sit up and take notice but, for sure. And But that doesn't happen. Uh, we don't have any uh, accounts of that happening today. Exactly right. And, and and that's one of the things we've got to stress. The things that people call miracles today or the claims that people make of miracles today really, in fairness, must be contrasted to the miracles that we read about in the New Testament, and they are not of the same nature whatsoever. They're not, they, they, they're not in the same class. 
and and in fairness, that's what you have to. That's the contrast you have to make. Let's go ahead and take a break, and then when we come back, we'll take it to the top of the hour. One thing we needed to get into, Dad, as we get uh, closer to the end of the program, we need to talk about why we believe there are no miracles today. We've talked about the fact that we don't believe they exist. We haven't really proven why we believe they don't exist from the Bible. We'll look at some emails, and uh, we'll hopefully take an email or a call from you. We hope you'll join in on the discussion. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And there's another promise of God right there that we believe God is active in the world. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. God is still active today. He's still answering prayers today, but he's not working miraculously. That's what we believe about miracles. I got an email from... Um Mike here in Columbia, Tennessee, who says when the tornado struck Tennessee on February 5th, more than 30 people lost their lives. I remember watching the newscast and several of the survivors who were interviewed. They had lost their homes and they said it was a miracle that they survived. I don't believe we can call their survival a miracle, but rather we can say that they were in the right place to live through the storms. Would you say God didn't have anything to do with it, though? It, maybe, it, maybe it wasn't a miracle, but would you say God didn't have anything to do with their survival? I, I couldn't say that. I couldn't say he did or didn't because... That's the nature of God working in natural providential means is that you can't put your finger on it and say, there's the proof of God's action. That's the nature of providence. You can't identify it in the moment. Now, in the Bible, we have some instances of God's providential working. We mentioned earlier the, the story of Esther. We have we have divine hindsight to be able to look back at that event and see it. And so we know for sure God was active in that instance but in, in, in our contemporary lives, we can't say for sure whether God did or didn't help those people survive those storms. They did. We don't know. We, we can't say for sure, but there weren't any miracles involved in the process. It was whatever happened, happened. All the laws of nature were fully functioning that night. And uh, and either God or did or didn't use those means to preserve life. No one levitated or had some type of force field around them where no uh, debris could get to them. It was all natural occurrences. You know, one of those persons that I seen in the newspaper that was referring to it being a miraculous event that they were saved from the storms done exactly what uh, it would be recommended by officials or emergency officials to do to avoid being killed in a tornado. They got in their basement. They got under the stairway where they would be sheltered from these things. So the fact that they were saved wasn't a miraculous thing. They followed a natural process in order to maximize their potential was, for not if, dying. If it was miraculous, they should have been out walking on the sidewalk. They should have been able to stand on the roof, yeah. and, and and then they wouldn't have, you know, obviously their house was destroyed if they had stood on the roof, they'd have died. But they'd done what was a natural process in order to shelter themselves from harm in that. So it wasn't a miracle. they just done what was the correct thing to do. All right. We have time to take your call or your email. We hope you'll join in on the program tonight. I want to get back to an email from Jason in Pennsylvania, Jacob. He says, I do not believe that miracles are being done today according to the biblical definition. If they were, if there were miracles happening today, all would need, all we would need to see is a miracle performed like the ones performed in the scriptures. I have to claim that when I hear people talking about being able to perform miracles, I'm skeptical. 
But even those who were skeptical in the book of Acts could not deny that legitimate miracles happened. For instance, in Acts 4, verse 16, when the the Jewish council brought the apostles uh, before them, they said, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Now, that's the nature of the New Testament miracles. Even the enemies of Christ could not deny that a miracle had occurred. That's a good point from Jason. He goes on to say, I would hope that I would not be skeptical to the point of denying the power of the Holy Spirit and hardening my heart. But the fact is that we just have never had a verifiable miracle like in the scriptures done today. Also, he says there's no longer a need for them because they have they had the purpose of confirming the revelation that God was giving he references Mark sixteen twenty and Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4, which we've already read tonight. He goes on to say, we have God's completed revelation in the Bible. Paul spoke of the coming of that which is perfect in 1 Corinthians 13 in the context of spiritual gifts ceasing. I believe that which was to come was the complete New Testament. We have that today, God's perfect law of liberty. I think Jason is right on. We appreciate his comment here. And I would like to go to that text that he mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Why do we think that miracles have ended? We believe in the ones in the Bible, but we believe they have ended and that there are not miracles happening today. There's really three reasons we believe they've not, they're not happening today. One we've already talked about, and that is that their purpose has been fulfilled. We don't need miracles today. Monty, do you need a miracle to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? No, I believe it already. You yeah. do need a miracle, but the miracle you need is revealed in the Word of God. You don't need right. another miracle. That's right. No. That, that confirmation has already been accomplished. Jacob, do you need a miracle to confirm that the New Testament uh, is the inspired Word of God? Just the ones, again, I can read about in the New Testament that confirmed the Word that was being That taught. confirmation is has, is accomplished. You know, another way to look at it is, let's say that you have to take a certified check. You're, you're, you're engaged in some property transfer, for instance. You're buying a piece of property, and you're expected to bring a certified check uh, to, to seal the deal, to close the deal. You go to the bank, and the bank certifies the check. Once it's been certified, it doesn't have to be certified again. Once it's been verified as as true and accurate, good, then you don't have to have that. You know, you don't have to go back and get it certified again and again and again. Once certified, that's a done deal, and that's the way to look at the at the scriptures. The miracles served as the certification that this was God's revelation to mankind. But once certified, that purpose fulfilled. We don't need that any longer. So that's that's argument one. Argument number two is the one that Jason mentioned in his email from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul was speaking about spiritual gifts, and he said they were going to end. The whole context of chapter 13 is about those who wanted to have spiritual gifts. Well, actually, actually, chapters 12, 13, and 14. Right. They wanted to have the best spiritual gifts. There was all this discussion about spiritual gifts, and so that's the context of chapter 13. Yeah, And, and notice, he actually says... Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And by the way, the knowledge there is the inspired knowledge. He mentions three of the specific gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think he intends that to be representative of them all. But he he definitely says they're going to end. So the miracles were going to end. The, The question is when? He goes on to answer that. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. No, no, verse 9, we know in part and we prophesy in part. We had, while Paul was writing 1 Corinthians, one of the first books written in the New Testament, maybe the first book written in the New Testament, and he said our knowledge is partial. We prophesy only partially. But when that which is perfect is come, in contrast to our partial knowledge, when complete knowledge has come, in other words, the complete knowledge that God wanted men to have, when that which is comp- perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And Paul answers the question. He says miracles were going to end, and he says when. When God had c- provided all the information to mankind that he intended for them to have, the miracles would end. That's really a clear passage. And it's clear from the context, if we examine the context, that he's talking about the word of God being that which is in part, when that which is perfect has come, the word is completely revealed, those things would go away, and we go on in verse 13 down at the end of that uh, passage, now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Those are the things that are going to abide, and those are the things that abide today still, faith, hope, and charity. And uh, the miracles, the miraculous gifts are no longer with us today. So that's the second reason. Keep track of this. Three reasons. One, the purpose has been fulfilled. Two, 
Paul said they would end and said when they would end. We can understand that. The third reason, Monty, is because the means by which those miraculous gifts were bestowed to people not available to us anymore. That's right, Greg. In Acts chapter 8, in verse 18, in that context there, it has to do with Simon the sorcerer and his conversion and then his trying to buy the ability to pass on these gifts. In verse 18, it says, Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. He offered them money and saying, give me this power that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. He recognized and was able to observe the process by which these spiritual gifts, this ability to perform miracles, was passed on. And that was through the laying on of the apostles' hands. So we can see someone here, and it's recorded for us, that he was able to observe it. He recognized it. He knew and understood how it happened. It was through the apostles. And so he wanted to be that, have that gift. The apostles are all dead and gone. If, if there's any of them left, they're incredibly old right now, and we don't believe that. So the apostles that were able to pass these gifts on are dead and gone, and so therefore the ability for those gifts to be passed on has ceased to be. That's right. No apostles to pass it on by laying hands on someone. Mm -hmm. The only other way that anybody ever got those gifts was the apostles themselves who got it by the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit as as it had been promised to them. But that was a promise to them exclusively, not Mm -hmm. to all people. The only ones that we read about being baptized with the Holy Spirit in the whole New Testament the apostles and Cornelius, the first Gentile convert in Acts chapter 10. And By even the, that account of Cornelius was to confirm or prove something to Peter and the other apostles that God was wanting the Gentiles to receive the gospel and be saved also. So that was, again, it was for the purpose of confirming. Back in Acts chapter 8, if we look at the logistics of it, it verifies the claim that Damani has made that the apostles had to be the ones to lay the hands on to impart the gifts. There were some uh, some extensive travel that went in to uh, this process to get the, the apostles there so that they could lay out the hands on them. Kind of interesting. We're running short on time, but Philip was a man on whom the apostles had laid hands in Acts 6. Philip went to Samaria, and he performed miracles. In fact, his, his miracles in conjunction with his preaching was what convinced Simon the sorcerer to be baptized. But Philip could not pass those gifts on. The apostles had to come and pass those gifts on to That's some right. others. Verse 14 is very clear about that. The apostles heard about it, that the, that the Samaritans had received the word. They sent Peter and John, who prayed that some of the others might receive the Holy Spirit. So Philip couldn't pass that on. He wasn't an apostle. That's exactly right. So, again, the, how did how did people get these gifts? By the laying on of the apostles' hands. Clearly no apostles around. The only other way that anybody ever got them, and it was very limited, was by the Holy, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It happened to the apostles, and it happened to Cornelius. We never read of another instance of that in the New Testament. And by the time Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, and he said in verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope you're calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. By the time Paul wrote Ephesians, he said there's only one baptism. There's not two baptisms. There's not Holy Spirit baptism and water baptism. Now there's just water baptism. He said in the next chapter, he spoke of the washing of the water by the word in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. There's no Holy, ba- Holy Spirit baptism today, and so nobody's getting the miraculous power that way. So there's our three arguments, Jacob. Why do we believe miracles have ended? Number one, the purpose has been fulfilled. Number two, Paul said they would end in 1 Corinthians 13 and told when, when the revelation of God was completed. And number three, our third argument is there's no way to get miracle working power today. There's no apostles around to lay hands on us, and there's no baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so there's no way to get it. Put those three arguments together, and I think we have to reach the conclusion that people are not performing miracles today. That's right. We want to reiterate two facts that we've been talking about uh, throughout the program, though, Dad. We want to be very clear. We do not deny any miracle that occurred that is revealed to us in the New Testament. We do not deny that miracles occurred in the first century. We do not deny that. Furthermore, we do not deny that God is still active in the world today. But we do deny that he is working miraculously for the reasons that we mentioned, the biblical reasons that we've mentioned, the evidence we've given from the Bible to show that those no longer occur. I think that's right. It's really an important study, uh, and I appreciate that it was suggested for us to review those points again on the Virtual Bible Study tonight and hope our study has been helpful. And likely some of our listeners will have uh, different views on this. 
And if you'd like to discuss this with us further, we'd be more than welcome to discuss it with you any way that you would uh, prefer, over the f- telephone, over email, or any other way that you would want to get in touch you with us. You know what, what we'd really be interested in, if, you, if you're one who believes in modern-day miracles and maybe your preacher teaches that, that they still happen and maybe he claims to have that power, Get him to come on the virtual Bible study with us. We'd love to. We'd love to interview him on the virtual Bible study, and uh, to further discuss these these uh, uh, points of difference that we might have. All right. And before we end, Dad, let's uh, let our listeners know about an important program that happens two weeks from tonight. That's right. On March the twentieth, we're going to interview a environmental Sabbatarian. He 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 teaches that we should be observing the Sabbath to save the earth. Prevent global warming and if you observe the Sabbath. Yeah, and we would have, we would be preventing global warming if we kept the Sabbath. Kind we, of we're not going to talk about global warming on that program, and we don't really care where you stand on that issue, but we are going to talk about the Sabbath and uh, whether or not it's still binding. Exactly right. All right, Monty, thank you for your time tonight. Uh, thank you for having me. All right, Dad, and thank you for the discussion. Enjoyed it, Jacob. Thanks. And, and thank you for listening to the program. We hope you benefited from our discussion of God's Word. Again, if you have any questions or comments about the things we've discussed tonight, send us an email, give us a phone call, or go to our website and leave us an audio comment. We hope you'll be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.